Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Give me a piece of mind, daddy, never had. Well, we're going to uh, hook up momentarily with Philadelphia's own Frank Saravalli, but not before I read a text on the Ashley Fine Floors text line from Cactus Jack, who says, Hey, Bob, welcome back from the tropics. You're lucky you didn't get Wally pipped by Cam Moon and Brendan Escott. With regards to Darnell Nurse, he's not going to be Chris Pronger, but if what if he learned to be a defensive shutdown monster? Jason Smith is beloved all across oil country for that very reason. Well, Frank Saravalli would recall this. Jason Smith was thought so highly of that when he was traded uh, with Joffrey Lupul to the Philadelphia Flyers in a deal in which the Oilers received Yoni Pickkinen and Jeff Sanderson. I remember Kevin Lowe reached out uh, to give me a heads up that that was coming down the pipe back in the day. Uh, he was well. Jason Smith was immediately made captain of the Philadelphia Flyers, and we are going to head off to the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline. Daily faceoffs, Frank Saravalli. For the horses and horse racing in Alberta, you can catch live standard bread racing Sunday afternoons at Track on 2 in Lacombe, post time at 2.15, and thoroughbred racing Fridays and Saturday nights out at Century Mile, or Fridays and Saturdays at Century Mile. Hello, Frank. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I actually saw Jason Smith uh, about a year ago this time. I was stuck in the Toronto airport. They lost my bag. I'm standing there in line uh, waiting to get some help from Air Canada, and the guy standing directly behind me in line was Jason Smith. Uh, and he works for the Flyers organization. He is the assistant coach of their mm-hmm. farm team. Was That's the one in Lehigh Valley with Ian LaPerriere. Correct, yep. Yeah. So he was actually on his way moving toward the Philly area. Uh, to coach that team. Yeah. So, uh, all right, Frank. Uh, we'll we'll get to the Bergeron stuff and some other things around the league here, Carlson, all that. But uh, Darnell Nurse did an interview with Luke Gazdick and said at times that he felt like he got blamed for everything that happened on the ice and the traffic on Stony Plain Road or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> is this? partially just a byproduct of uh, price point and salary and that sort of thing because um, cause I, I got it like I think the Darnell I know takes on a fair amount of accountability um, mm-hmm. I don't I, I can tell you right now when we broke down the Oilers loss to Vegas it did not start with Darnell Nurse um, you know the Vegas Golden Knights touched up every goaltender they faced during the playoffs including mm-hmm. uh, one of the best young goalies in the league Jake Ottinger a uh, a couple different uh, Vezina Trophy winners so you tell me what do you what do you think I think it all comes down to salary cap hit especially in the flat cap environment that we've been in the last well now next year will be the fourth consecutive season then the big reason for that is fairly or unfairly players now are viewed with so little cap space to go around based on how much they're chewing up or relatively the players that are bargain buys that end up playing and exceeding 
in productivity and production, their salary cap by a significant margin end up being fan favorites. And I have actually no better example than Cody Cece. Um, just look at his career and the prism with which his game has been viewed. Okay. It's almost been entirely based on cap hit. Depending on where he's played, he's either been one of the best defensemen on the team or one of the worst, according to the fan bases in those markets, based solely on salary cap. And the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. The truth is that Cody Cece is a fine, stable, middle-pair defenseman that can do a lot of different things and at the right price point is a strong addition to your team. Darnell Nurse happened to sign his contract at a time when D-men around the league were getting paid significant sums of money, and he cashed in at the right time contractually for him. And unfortunately, since then, that's come with a heap of criticism that fans view you through that nature, and understandably so. Yeah. It's interesting with CeCe because he basically replaced Adam Larson. And a year ago mm-hmm. at this time, you know, CeCe had a great first year at Edmonton. Uh, and Adam Larson really struggled in Seattle. Their whole team did. They couldn't get a save. Mm-hmm. Last year, Larson was part of the Seattle turnaround, and CC had some tough moments during the year. As you know, Frank, the Edmonton Oilers had five or six potential teams calling them on Cody CC because there was a shortage of those mid-tier priced right shot D out there. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, who did Detroit end up signing? Right shot. Oh, just Justin Hall. They paid him more uh-huh. than CC is making right now. And I'd way. I don't know about you, but I'd rather way rather have Cody CC than have Justin Hall. So uh, it is that. That is a, a valid point. All right, let's get to uh, we we do have hacks with eggs. Joe Haggerty coming up at one oh five today. Patrice Bergeron makes it official. Boston has four point five million dollars in overage from David Krejci and uh, Patrice Bergeron this year. And he, mm-hmm. Bergeron, is ultimately elected to retire. Is this maybe the best two-way centerman of all time in the league? Uh, yeah, I think he certainly can lay claim to the best defensive forward of all time, legitimately. Uh, six Selkie trophies. He has the hardware to prove it. And I think in some ways I'm kind of surprised that Bergeron is calling it a career. You know, I, I understand that his body has been banged up the last few years, hasn't felt really 100%. And to see him, though, step away for two reasons. One, at the absolute height of his game, to think that he's been playing, really you could make the argument that the last two seasons that he's had have been the best of his career. And on top of that, with the way the Boston Bruins went out in the playoffs this year, not just up 3-1 to one in the third period of Game 7, but also up 3-1 to one in the series against the number 8 seed Florida Panthers, to think that after a best regular season in NHL history, and yes, he's won one Stanley Cup, and frankly, the two best moments of his career ended up coming in Vancouver, winning the Stanley Cup and the Olympic gold medal in 2010, 
Um, to see him call it a career at this exact moment in time is still a little bit surprising because I think he could have still been a really impactful player next year. Now, when I watched him play in that series, it, towards the end, it looked like he was laboring with his skating. Mm-hmm. So you know, so. I, I think that's fair, and I think that's something that's been holding him back. I think he felt like he wasn't quite up to that level, and good on him for stepping away. He could have easily kept going. Yeah, no question about that. All right, where is Eric Carlson going to end up? In San Jose. So you do not believe that he's ultimately going to get traded here? I think it's a 15 to 20% chance that he's traded. And even that, it kind of feels high. And that's based on all the information that I have at this exact moment in time, which is... The San Jose Sharks haven't changed their tune. Was it? I think it was you that had mentioned a while back uh, at some point during last season that the Sharks were looking for three first-round picks in exchange for Carlson while retaining 20 or 25% or whatever the number was. 18%. Okay, 18%. So that was very specific. Yes. And Not everybody was happy that, that that 18% number was out there, by the way. Yeah, sorry sorry to bring that up again, but the Sharks are not willing, at least to my understanding, to retain more than 20% yeah. this time around, and they're still looking for a significant haul. I don't know if it's all centered around draft picks, but they're basically saying to teams, we want a return that's commensurate with a 100-point Norris Trophy-winning defenseman and I understand where they're coming from from that aspect, but I still don't have any sense that Mike Greer and the Sharks are properly valuing the freedom and flexibility of, even if they're retaining 20%, being able to move $9.5 million off of their cap with a 34-year-old player who has a significant injury history to, to get away from that. You know, essentially the teams that have been in the mix, whether it's Pittsburgh, Carolina, the Leafs, Seattle, they've all essentially, is my understanding, they'll give you a little something, but the the idea is if we'll take them off your hands if if that's what you want to do, but we're not going to be giving you a significant haul in order to get our hands on them. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to me. I mean, I thought it was a little much last December when I met, you know, and kind of like, really? And, and all I can think of in the back of my mind is, the Edmonton Oilers have Evan Bouchard. Why do they need to go get? Mm-hmm. They, you know, Evan Bouchard was 22. Why would they need a 33-year-old Eric Carlson? Because you can win now, stupid stoffer, right? That would be the response to that. You know, mm-hmm. it is. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I think Evan Bouchard, and I realize he does not have arb rights, um, but you know. My guess is he ends up getting a two-year deal done here, just under four million or around four million bucks. Let's not forget the fact that he's with Wasserman, the same agency uh, that's got mm-hmm. Connor McDavid. Albeit uh, Dave Gagne represents him, not uh, Jeff Jackson. But you know, I'm I think that Evan Bouchard could be a guy in the next couple of years that hovers around 25 goals and 65 to 70 points, which until what Carlson did last year, that would be the high end for NHL defenseman just because he's on a very special Edmonton power play, and I think he's going to continue to grow 5v5. Your thoughts? 
I don't think I don't think you're wrong, and I also think what happens that's the big dare that these teams have essentially laid at the feet of the Sharks now is what happens if he goes back to being a 70-point defenseman? Yeah. What happens if he sustains a significant injury? Then what? So are the Sharks willing to roll the dice and gamble knowing that if things go sideways next season as he's the highest-paid defenseman in the league still – what you know if it goes sideways they're stuck with him for the remainder of that contract more more than likely we are joined right now by frank saravalli for the horses and horse racing alberta a reminder live racing fridays and saturdays out at century mile all right uh frank um you know do you the maple leafs just had a decision uh come in on a, on a goaltender they have another one that's been injured on and off matt murray is he headed to robodaw island do you think suspicion and I've mentioned this multiple times on podcasts and on the air the last six to eight months that there would be an option I think for Matt Murray to go to LTIR that there was some sort of understanding that had existed between the Maple Leafs and Matt Murray when the trade was executed from Ottawa uh, last year I've been since told that that's not accurate. And so I'll be real curious to see what happens here. I've seen people make the joke of, well, he may not be injured now, but wait until training camp, give him two weeks and he will be again. Um, And that's not to, to poke fun at a guy who's really struggled for the last few years to stay healthy. Um, the, the fact of the matter is his days wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey are over. Um, he's, if he's not being banished to Robita Island and, and being placed on LTIR, then either a trade or buyout is coming. The Leafs are fully set going into next year with Ilya Samsonov on that arbitration award, as you mentioned, which also walks him to free agency yeah. uh, next year, and Joe Wall at a bargain price that they think uh, the two of them in tandem can um, you know, achieve roughly the same results that they had last year. And I get their, their line of thinking. The, the fact of the matter remains, though, they're over the cap. They have to make a move. And their window now, a second buyout window, opens tomorrow. And it extends for 48 hours beyond that. So by Friday, it, the the buyout path is the one the Leafs, I think, least wanted to use. But nonetheless, they'd still clear, you know, almost $4 million bucks for next season by buying out Murray and then taking a $2.6 million hit the year after when the cap is expected to increase by $4 million bucks. So that's sort of what they're looking at. Um, I I still think they'd much prefer to trade him or LTIR him if that's even a possibility. Yeah, well, it's uh, interesting times to say the least. Uh, Any idea where Pugh Suter might end up going? Do you think there's a market Uh, for him? No. No? And that's not a name I had spent any time thinking about. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just looking at the remaining centers with... Uh, Noshek ended up signing with the New Jersey Devils. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers basically... And that was a bargain. Yeah, that was a bargain. The Oilers can basically sign one guy. Now, uh, has some of the arbitration decisions come by potentially affected things for Ryan McLeod, do you think? Oh, I think 
it has uh, for sure in terms of the award that went to Kurashev. Um, you know, you look at that 2.25, I think that was that coupled with some of the other deals that were signed for defensemen, um, you know, a few weeks ago, including Bowen Byram and Keandre Miller, the Oilers are like, they're counting every last penny here when it comes to getting McLeod and uh, Bouchard signed. And I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think the easiest way to explain it is that with this market that's been set for McLeod via the Kurashev arbitration award, um, basically every dollar additional that McLeod gets, it's almost coming directly out of Bouchard's pocket. That's perhaps too easy of a way to explain it, but when there's only so much left on the table and Bouchard doesn't have arbitration rights, there's not really anywhere else that you can find money from. Well, unless you're going 21 and not 22 skater. Right now, I think we're headed down the path where the Oilers are going to have a 21-man roster, and that means they're 12 forward. Maybe it comes a bit out of there if McLeod gets a little bit more and it knocks you down from a $1.15 million forward down to an $800,000 forward as your 12 forward, Frank. Right. And and that's actually been in vogue the last few years in the NHL in this flat cap world where teams are kind of carrying the bare minimum that you can uh, yes. on a day-to-day basis. The only problem is the Oilers farm team is in Baco, not around the corner like some other teams. Six of the seven Canadian teams currently have their AHL affiliates in Canada. All right, Frank, uh, you know, it is a fairly quiet time. Are we going to hear some noise about the 2018 World Junior investigation from the NHL? I've kind of thrown my hands up in the air um, in the sense that I was expecting it 10 days or two weeks ago when some teams, I believe, were told to brace for impact. I don't know what the holdup or hangup has been. I, you know, I think the NHL's investigation has been somewhat substantially complete going back all the way until last September or October. Yep. This has dragged on way further than, way longer than a lot of people might have expected. So for me to even hazard a guess at this point, um, I think would be unfair. Is the investigation in London ongoing at this time? Not to my knowledge. I I had thought that they had mostly wrapped it up, and I thought the two sides were comparing notes. That was my understanding, and I don't know what's gotten in the way since. Wow, interesting stuff. All right, well, Frank, uh, as you know, you're going to continue to do the show for the next few weeks here uh, during the summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are moving the show to 5 to 7, and we'll go earlier on Euler game days in the fall. Are you up uh, to continue joining us? Of course, yeah. You're going to catch me right during dinner time. It'll be perfect. We saw how you handled uh, things at the NHL Awards night. That was uh, one of your... Oh, fun- yeah, the hot chicken, yeah. Yeah, hot chicken. Uh, you think a guy from Philly can handle a hot chicken. Hey, uh, by the way, have you, did you uh, see Oppenheimer or the Barbie movie yet? I have not. My wife and daughter went to see Barbie. They loved it. I was out on that one. Uh, but I am looking forward to seeing Oppenheimer. Best movie I've seen in 10 years. 
Oh, wow. Look at that. There you go. Great stuff, Frank. Thanks for joining us, man. See you, Bob. 12.53 in Edmonton. That is Frank Saravalli for the horses and horse racing Alberta. Again, there's standard bread racing every Sunday afternoon at Track on 2 in Lacombe, post time 2.15. Live thoroughbred racing Fridays and Saturdays out at Century Mile. Guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. It's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 99.90 Jasper Avenue and tell Chris and Chef Eltoff that orders now sent you. Back with some text and a little bit of discussion between Brendan and myself when we return. Fifty-six damage and Brendan, who is this? By the way, this is old Our Lady Peace, who played this day at Woodstock in '99. That was so. We we talked a bit about the the Netflix series uh, Trainwreck. It was pretty good. It was uh, entertaining to say the least, and it, it did sort of, you know, it hit on a lot of different themes and topics to say the least. And we opened up with fire. Uh, with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and man, oh man, they took it literally and figuratively. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you, 1256 in Edmonton. The Oilers Now Injury Reports brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Trent Brown is a proud Edmonton Eskimo alum. Of course, the team's now called the Edmonton Elks. Was a winner of the 1993 Grey Cup, a two-time CFL All-Star Safety. One of the best football players ever. Uh, Elks have the BC Lions this week, is that right, at home on Saturday night? Yeah, finally a couple extra days to rest after doing a bunch of Thursdays in a row, now the Saturday game. But, of course, the Lions are division leaders, so this 0-7 record looks like it could perhaps swell to 0-8, and, and, of course, that would mean this home losing streak up to 21. Yeah, you know, Brendan, I was spoiled because I grew up listening to Brian Hall. We had Rod Phillips do hockey and Halsey, Brian, the first Halsey. Uh, he'd tell you the Halsey. Uh, not Taylor Hall, but uh, Brian Hall. Uh, uh, doing the football and, and and the Eskimos started really getting good when I was like seven eight years of age and they were good for a while a long while uh, you know five in a row great cup 1978 uh, 82 I remember being devastated that they lost to Ottawa their quarterbacks got hurt in 73 the Alouettes beat them in 74 out in Vancouver the Eskimos won in the frigid uh, conditions in Calgary on a missed uh, field goal from the uh, Alouettes the end of the game uh, 9-8 I think was the final that was the year the streaker ran on the field that was one of the more memorable incidents. In 77, they lost the Staple Bowl in Montreal, and then they started. Uh, they beat the Alouettes in 78 and 79, hammered the Hamilton Ticats in 1980, who at that time were owned by Harold Ballard. Uh, 1981, came from behind against George Brancato and the Ottawa Rough Riders. The Riders were 5-11 during the regular season. George Brancato's daughter, was married to Pete Trelli, or is married to Pete Trelli. Uh, 1982... The uh, Eskimos overcame a couple uh, first-half big plays at the old Exhibition Stadium in Toronto and beat the Argos quite handily. And that's when Warren Moon was at the absolute height of his powers in the CFL. Five uh, great cups in a row. They won in 87. Giz got the uh, return for a touchdown on the missed field goal. Jerry Corrick with the eventual winner. And then they won in 93 with Trent on the team and that was the year I think Winnipeg turned the ball over it was in Calgary at the McMahon Stadium and the uh, Bombers I think had five turnovers in the first half of that game in 93 
Probably should have won a 96. 43-37 final. I uh, went out for uh, a bite yesterday with a buddy of mine, Tyler, and he's like, oh, he got ripped off that game. Worst call ever. Should have won a 96. Of course, won an 03 with Tom Higgins, 05 with Danny Machocha, 2015 with Chris Jones and Mike Riley. And uh, 30, what was it, 34 straight years in the playoffs, but tough times right now for football fans in this city. 